folks, it's Joanna. I hope everyone's doing all right. I have the Oz man, Ozzy, with me. We did our morning walk, and I'm hoping he's pretty chill. Given he did see a squirrel when we were walking, yep, I'm kind of glad I had both hands on the leash. But anyways, today I have Elgin Williams returning to the podcast, which is really cool. Like I said, I think I mentioned it to uh, Hannah, Mary McKinnon. I'm always glad when guests return because it makes me feel that I haven't terrorized anyone with this (laughs) experience. So first, if you're a first-time listener, Elgin Williams was born in Springfield, Ohio, and grew up on a farm in southeastern Clark County near the town of South Charleston. And I give a shout out to the people of Ohio. They are, um, how do I say this, A, a, a definite listening base. So thank you to the people of Ohio. Now, Elgin is the author of science fiction, fantasy, and mystery with Pandemoon Publishing. His publications include Fried Windows and a Light White Sauce, the Thuperman Trilogy, and it starts with Becoming Thuperman, Homer Underby, and the final book in the series, Superheroes. We're going to talk about book two and the Fried Windows series. And so, like I said, the first book was Fried Windows and a Light White Sauce. And his next, the just released book is Ninja Bread Castles. Elgin, welcome back. That's great to be back. Good. All right. So first off, I have to give a shout out to the book designers. I am loving the cover of Ninja Bread Castles. Yeah, Don uh, Don Kramer did the design. Good. And it's um, it's reflective of the style of the first book. Yeah. When the first book came out, it was like a long time ago. Yeah. <laughs> and um, the cover was uh, revised since then. Yeah. So. Uh, Amazon still has a few of the books with the older cover, but, uh, so, you know, if you want to, if you want to get the original cover, you can still do that, but, um, the new cover is going to be the one going forward and it, it's similar in design to the, uh, to the Ninja Bread Castles cover. Cool. That's what I'm finding is, uh, I have just decided that, when book three of mine comes out, um, I am going to a book designer and I'm just going to say, can you, you know, like um, make these, not all the same. What is it? Brand these, right? Yeah. Brand them. yeah because I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm done trying to figure, figure it out. Right. I've got other things I got to do. So, okay. And now you had mentioned this when book one came out, um, so Fried Windows, it was published in 2014. Book two. Not long ago. <laughs> <laughs> Book two has just come out. Okay. So, but you've been busy because you've been writing the Thuperman series in between. And I was wondering, did you have any concerns or did it 
cross your mind that seven years had passed between book one and two? Um, I was thinking about yeah, this. Yeah, just did. <laughs> well, I was thinking about this yesterday when I was walking the dog, right? And I thought, I wonder if he did, if he had concerns, like if if he's changed as an author or has that affected your protagonist voice? Or was it just like once you got in there, it was like, I always say like my favorite pair of jeans. So, so what was going on? Well, I originally intended uh, Fried Windows to be a, a standalone. Okay. And kind of got talked into doing a series. Okay. And uh, I wrote Superman. I wrote the Becoming Superman, the first book of that series, while I was waiting for the edits to come back from uh, Fried Windows. And I intended that to be a, a standalone, too. Yeah. So I got talked into writing two series. But um, I'm I, I'm glad I did because it helped fill in the fill in the space and a lot of the details in the background for uh, for the characters. Because yeah. Brent appears in books uh, two and three of the Superman trilogy. Yeah. Um, so it wasn't really hard to uh, to stay in character with Brent, and Brent's kind of like a best friend or an alter ego, you yeah. know. Yeah. Um, so I'm I'm real familiar with him. He appears in in a lot of my books, almost all of them. Good, good. So I've got I, I have a question, which is kind of you just when you're talking about your characters, kind of going we're going off a bit of a tangent here. See what I'm finding is I was doing rewrites yesterday, and this character who was only supposed to have like a small role in book three damn, he's fun to write about, you know? And I had this scene where I had Adam and Jade and it just wasn't working. And I switched up with Adam and this other guy and it's, it's like, bam, it's happening. So have you had a character do that to you or they just suddenly demand attention? Yeah. It's, um, it's kind of eerie in a way because, um, the way I write, I write the dialogue first, so the characters are actually telling me a story. Yeah. And, you know, through their dialogue, and I fill in the details later. Yeah. <clears throat> so, uh, yeah, that happens often. Um, you know, Christine Gabriel, one of the people I work with, uh, has a character in, in one of her books that was kind of a throwaway character to begin with. Yeah. And... Um, you know, when she was first writing the drafts, because one of her friends wanted her to throw a vampire into the story and she was refusing to do it. Yeah. And then at the last minute, she decided she was going to add in a vampire just to settle things. Yeah. And the vampire became her most, uh, her favorite character yeah. of, um, of all the readers of, of the series. Yeah. So, yeah. It, it happens when you add another dynamic because the, the characters have their own personalities and their own histories and their own backstories. Yeah. So when you start filling in all that detail, they connect better with certain characters. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Because they, they become that, real. Yeah. Well, I know with this one character, you know, I, I was telling my daughter, I said, I originally was going to kill him off. <laughs> it's not happening, you know, 
Yeah. Okay. Well, well thanks for that. Um, we'll, we'll get back to our, our program here. So in Ninja Bread Castles, you have this concept of the window, which I thought was really cool. So I thought, could you explain to our listeners what the window is? Well, the window is a, is a metaphor um, in a lot of ways. It, you know, first of all, windows separate the inside from the outside. Yeah. Okay. So that's that's pretty easy to grasp. But in Brent's case, at the end of fried windows, he escapes by falling through a window and, um, you know, a, a, and falls outside of a car and into a ditch. Yeah. And the window itself divides him into two parts. He spent all of fried windows trying to reconnect his different parts because he's been scattered. And um, then to, to escape uh, his captors and fried, at the end of fried windows, he falls through a window and gets divided. It gets split into two again. And um, part of him goes to an alternate universe, New Orleans, which is wedged between the real world and the afterlife. Cool. And the other part of him winds up in a ditch a few miles outside of Tyler, Texas. <laughs> and conveniently, he knows people in both places. So yeah. um, there's some other window window like things going on throughout the, the story. Uh, you know, thresholds that allow Brent to connect to the continuum and go to alternate universes and, you know, other worlds and different times. Yeah. Well, it's really cool. And um, I'm, believe it or not, I am going to be, after I finish these second, these rewrites, I have a, a few more rewrites yet, but I'm going to write a fantasy. And I just, it's so cool. And we talk, we'll talk a little more about. Well, it's like, it's like taking the limiters off of your imagination. Yeah. You can, <laughs> you can do anything. Yes. I mean, there's, there's certain tropes that you have to obey in certain genres yeah but uh you know fried windows and becoming superman are really magical reality magical yeah. realism yeah. or speculative fiction yeah you know, some other labels that, that people put on stories like that but pretty much anything goes yeah yeah i mean there there's some rules to the physics of the universe that uh that exists there that uh, that have to be defined in their own way. So there are some limits to what can go on. Yeah. But, you know, I mean, I've got people interacting with ghosts. You know? <laughs> so. And that's cool. That's cool. Okay. So Becoming Superman is your other series. And I remember, I remember how much I enjoyed reading it. It, it situated in 1988 there were no cell phones, there was no internet, and it featured Will and Sandra. And now you have the two series, you know, and we're, we're talking about the, you know, Fried Window series now. And I was wondering, uh, did you, it's like your children, right? Like, I'm not saying you favored one over the other, you know, like, I, I remember my girls used to tease me saying, oh, yeah, Carrie's your favorite. And it's like, no, I love you two differently, because you're different individuals. So it, 
<laughs> did you care for one um, series over another or was it just each series had its uniqueness or was it just like um, the two series was were kind of like a an expansion you know under this one big um, universe that you've created this world you've created yeah Christine asked me that question <laughs> you know, which one which one I like better and I and I told her it's whichever one I'm working on. Yeah. But, um, yeah, the children analogy holds holds pretty well. Yeah. Um, I don't really have a preference one or the other. It's just whichever one I'm working on. Right. And so even though even though I wrote um, Becoming Superman after Fried Windows, okay? Yeah. And before Ninja Red Castles, the fried windows and gingerbread castles thing um, takes place at well after becoming Superman. Okay. And uh, you know, the Superman trilogy. Yeah. It's like 15 years or so. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, there's my universe be, is like a growing tent. Yeah. Uh, it, it, it encompasses all these different, um, tangents and variations and everything i have another series coming out um probably into this year or, or uh early next year which is a kind of a backstory for where all these wolf cat people come from oh, okay and um you know that that becomes the wolf cats become more important in book three of the of the uh fried windows series okay and um you know will's a wolf cat so is brent yeah and um, so we need some more background information about about where they come from. And there's also there's a part in uh, Superheroes, book three of of uh, the Superman trilogy, where Brent takes Sandra and Will to another planet, mm -hmm. and this planet is inhabited by different cultures, different groups of uh, of beings. Uh, one of them is is the wolf cats. You know, okay. and there's a colony of wolves that exist on this planet, and you know, intermingled with the wolves are the wolf cats, and they're highly regarded by the wolves, but they're also highly regarded by you know the the cats yeah. that also inhabited this world, even though the wolves and the cats aren't best friends. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So okay. There's a lot going on. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, you know, I guess we should give our listeners just a hint of what Brinja, uh, Ninja Bread Castles is about. It, hey. Okay, so, you know, like I said earlier, Brent's just escaped from the program, which is this group of people that he used to work for, and they've just recaptured him at the end of, uh, of Fried Windows. Yeah. Um, so getting into some background about that, the program is a clandestine organization uh, that is like an enforcement arm of a more all-encompassing group called the Society. Yeah. And the Society controls the world through infiltrating large multinational corporations and being elected or appointed members of administrations and, you know, government bureaus and bureaucracy. And... Um, this happens throughout the world yeah. and you know through their 
conniving and the corporation's lobbying efforts and everything, the society um, kind of controls things. Yeah. And the society also interfaces with an organization called the Triumvirate Council. And uh, this has been around since the earliest times of human civilization. And their objective is essentially preventing us from completely destroying ourselves while guiding our progress. And they're responsible for our international conflicts mm-hmm. and even ordering assassinations, uh, which eventually the program executes for them. Yeah. And Brent has been an operative in the program. So he is he's been a uh, paid assassin. Yeah. And uh, Brent was the target of recruitment since he was a young um, kid. Yeah. And he popped up on their on their radar because of his enhanced abilities. Yeah. And he was recruited out of college to join the program, though at the time he thought that he was being recruited by the CIA. Okay. And on the advice of Grimm, one of his uh, one of his friends, who was someone who had been in the program. Yeah. Brent tried to refuse their overtures, but after he was arrested in New Orleans. Under the under a trumped up murder charge over yeah. a matter of self defense, yeah, the program uh, made a deal to gain his release, uh, obligating him to serve with the program in exchange for his never returning to New Orleans. Okay. So all this is important backstory, and yeah. you learn some of it, you know, through the conversations in the book. Yeah. As many things uh, carry over from one version of New Orleans to the other, you know, part of uh, of Brent ends up in the alternate uh, universe, New Orleans, and is in trouble immediately because upon arriving, he must clear his name to satisfy the ruler, who is plush the magic drag queen. Yeah. And she sends him on a mission to bring spirits of two of Brent's deceased uh, girlfriends uh, from the past back from the afterlife. Yeah. Meanwhile, the other part of Brent is trying hard to prevent the program from recapturing him because he figures that they intend to scrub his brain again, which they've done to him previously. Yeah. um, Which would involve being returned to an asylum. Oh, geez. Wow. Wow. there's a lot going on holy smokes yeah wow okay so let's talk about brent because as i'm reading his dialogue he's got a and i i I mean this this is all positive okay like he's got i it's he's got a smart mouth like he's smart and he's quick and he's logical and i'm just thinking of one of the opening scenes when he's like um being held in custody he's in like a jail and i'm just thinking out of all your characters is brent more like you than any of the other characters you've written about uh he's a lot braver than i've ever been <laughs> <laughs> but uh yeah i do have a smart mouth at times and it's definitely <laughs> something that's uh, that i've got in common with him and and uh you know we've shared some past experiences where uh sarcasms uh not worked out well for us <laughs> yeah, but, 
gone. Isn't yeah? Isn't that it? When you think you say something and you think, okay, not everybody gets my sense of humor, right? Uh, I used to have uh, I used to have a a ongoing dialogue with a teacher at high school. Yeah, and uh, it was like we would talk over the other students' heads because yeah. you know, I had kind of a developed vocabulary. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so the other kids kind of knew that we had like this banter going on back and forth, but they didn't completely understand what we were saying. Yeah. See, and I had one too. I remember in uh, junior high, it was the science teacher, Mr. Sumner, who may he rest in peace. I, I just found out he passed away. Um, the, the science teacher, how we were, okay. I'm dating myself here where he sat by the projector. Okay. (laughs) To demonstrate like the, uh, the periodic, like I'm right about the periodic table where I sat was right near the projector. And I remember one day he had said something, it was sarcastic, it wasn't about these two kids, but it was something they were doing. And I just giggled. And I was the only one who giggled quietly. And then he just kind of looked down at me and he goes, I'm glad someone appreciates my sense of humor. (laughs) Right. He goes, because no one else seems to. Right. It's not exactly. I appreciated it, but I just, I understood what you meant. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Okay. So back to the book, back to the book. What some of the things I like that you do is you you bring in, I want to say, even though it's science fiction, fantasy, there's like threads of, uh, I guess you could say, do I want to say the real world? Okay. Or real experiences. And it was this. There's some continuity. Yeah. And it was this particular one in, in chapter six. And it's this conversation that's happening between Andy, Brent, and Will. And they're talking about the Soviets. They're talking about nuclear war at some point in the future. And if I could read this quote, this dialogue, you know, and and Andy says, as Brent and I can tell you, we were closer to war in the 1980s than anyone inside the government ever let on. And that hit me because Elgin, you know, I graduated in the 80s. And I remember seeing, I I think it was, it was either, I think it was Time Magazine had a photo of the mushroom cloud on the cover at one point. Um, Queen, a band I just loved, in their song, Hammer to Fall, they had this lyric about living under the mushroom cloud. And that was, it. you can tell, if I still remember this, it had an impact on me. So tell me, why, why, why did you want to include that line, your research, your own point of view, your own experiences? Well, there were some things I was privy to while I was in Asia, and okay. uh, mainly the stability of the world is far more precarious than, you know, you might think. Yeah. And uh, one of the reasons I left the military when I did was because I just didn't want to know the secrets anymore. Okay. Yeah. And, uh, but I, uh, I realized how trusting of the government that a lot of the citizens in the world are. Mm-hmm. 
you know, just throughout the world because we're going about our, our normal lives, doing our normal things. And, you know, we have our politicians elected to take care of the big stuff for us, you know, yeah, so that, uh, so that we don't have to be involved in, you know, fighting off whatever. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we trust our government to a certain extent. Yeah. And uh, there are a lot of people who are in charge of things that honestly believe their own BS. (laughs) Those people are dangerous and routinely put all of our lives at risk. Yeah. uh, To advance whatever agendas they have. Yeah. Or that uh, they're obligated to support. Yeah. And I think... You know, even though I realized this in the 80s, it's gotten worse as time has progressed. Yeah. And we've seen veils have been peeled back. Yeah. You know, over the past few years. And we're getting a feeling that, you know what, these people that we we voted to take care of things for us. They've got their own things going on and they're not really taking care of us. Yeah. 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 No, I, I agree. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I know um, you mentioned about the military years ago. Like I was like, I was writing 20 years ago and I was with crime writers of Canada. Then I'm back with them now. And I remember one of our authors, one of our writers, she worked for the Navy in Victoria. So she was, we have the, in Esquimalt, the Navy. And I just remember one day she was driving me to uh, help set up for a writing uh, book launch, writing a, a conference a workshop. And I just said to her, you know, like making conversation. So how was your day? <laughs> and she's driving and she just looked at me and she goes, Joanna, I can't talk about it. You know, and I thought, oops, okay. Okay. Right. And uh, yeah, it was a bit of an eye opener, you know, but okay. So we're going to shift this back to your book. Well, you're, yeah. So I'm doing up questions or I did up questions because we have the Maple Leaf Mystery Conference um, happening this weekend. And uh, uh, listeners, when you hear this, the, it'll be, it will have passed. Okay. But anyways, I'm, I'm doing up questions for this conference and it has to do with setting. And I was very curious as to why you wanted this novel to take place in New Orleans. Well, obviously I like New Orleans. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's one of those places that has a special vibe that doesn't exist anywhere else. Yeah. And I spent some time there when I was younger and, uh, you know, back in college. And years later, I visited it again, and this was post-Katrina. Okay. And uh, the contrast was striking and depressing, you know, to say the least. And uh, it had bounced back. It's bounced back now. Yeah. Um, It's not fully there, I don't think but it has a special nature and it's because of the, the diversity and mixture of people there. And um, it's just, it's just an overall feeling for, for one thing, there's a saying there, New Orleans normal. Okay. And anybody who lives there understands that, that term. Yeah. 
it's like the people put up with the blatant corruption in their government as long as it doesn't bother them. Okay. Strange things happen in New Orleans, and everybody just says, yeah, yeah, that's New Orleans. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) So the character Grimm in the book is based on a real guy that I uh, visited with along uh, the last time I was there. Yeah. And. um, Oops, hold on, Elgin. Hold on. Okay. Okay, so Grimm is based on a. Grimm Grimm is based on a real guy, and I visited him the last time I was in New Orleans. The idea for the book came about from some of that because we had a conversation about certain things. Yeah. And um, besides that, New Orleans is a perfect place to have the living and the dead, you know, together working side by side. And I mean, it, where else, where else could that happen? You know? And it works. God, does it work? Yeah. Grim had, had this idea about hotel Havana yeah. being a place that was sandwiched between two buildings yeah. in, in the real new Orleans. And he, his idea was, that this is a place that dead rock stars opt to go when they die because <laughs> they fear that heaven would be too boring with all the harp music and all. <laughs> so I kind of picked up on that, kind of robbed that idea from them and expanded on it. Yeah. And uh, so I created this alternate universe, New Orleans, which I realize is redundant, but it yeah. worked. And uh, that. That was that was uh, where that the inkling of the idea came from for this alternate universe, New Orleans. Cool. And cool. I suppose that I live in the other crazy vibe place in the United States, which is Las Vegas. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, and yes, Las Vegas is going to be the subject of of uh, of a, a future book. That's good. I, I, I've been to Las Vegas for sure. <laughs> right. <laughs> Uh, there's, yeah. there's several different Las Vegases. Okay. Yeah. I mean, there's the one that most people think of is, is the one that's down by the airport and got the strip and all the, the large hotels and casinos. And then there's the Las Vegas that's east of that. And there's the Las Vegas that's west of that. Okay. And then there's the newer sections, which is to the north. And you have the the northwest side, which is where I live. Yeah, is uh, kind of the newer area all around. Yeah, and this place has a really, really strange and diverse community vibe. Okay, that's quite apart from anything else that that you find in New Orleans. Okay, and the, the the people here are really chill. Yeah, they're cool to be around, and we look out for each other. That's good. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So going from the idea of Las Vegas, I would like to talk about the amulet, which you write about in the book. And it's very important. So before I go to my next question, can you tell me and our listeners, what is the purpose of the amulet that Brent has. Okay, the amulet is a 
It's a necklace that was fashioned from one of the seven fragments of the foundation stone, which is a magical artifact left over from the previous uh, iteration of the universe. And the particular one that Brent has belonged to Alana the wolf cat. And it was called the wolf stone. Yeah. Uh, its properties, because it um, exists from uh, substances outside of the, the universe, <laughs> it can amplify whatever innate magical abilities that the bearer has. Cool. Cool. And it can unlock the portals between worlds, allowing the bearer to enter the continuum, travel in space and time. Yeah. And since uh, Brent has Wolfcat heritage, he can use it for his own purposes. Though there is often a price to pay anytime that you use it. And one of those things that happens is it can make you unstable and attract uh, electromagnetic discharges. Like Jeez. lightning bolts and things. Jeez. That's cool. That's really cool. Um, and why I, I wanted you to talk about it first is because as I'm reading, with, with your novel, you have realistic explanations as to spheres, chambers, and I'm hoping I'm pronouncing this right, Tachyons? Yeah. Okay. Now, a, a, a tachyon particle is a hypothetical particle that travels faster than light. And it can be detected in an accelerator experiment. And I did not know that. So I say, thank you, Google. <laughs> I Googled that. Okay. And I like that you base... I'll say it, the travel, like the time, the, how they travel um, between their, their different universes. You base it on science, and then you compare it to the amulet. And, you know, you say in your, at this, one, at this one conversation between Andy, Brent, and Will, you know, that this is basically what the amulet can do. And I liked that. I liked how you, you gave us the facts, and then you said this is what the amulet can do and i was just wondering why why did you want to why did you want to introduce the science first and then the amulet well i think uh i think i was inspired uh years ago by arthur c clark um he said any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic so the idea was seated into my mind that Magic is just basically undefined science. You know, it's something we haven't discovered yet. Okay. And explaining how something works, or even how it might work in scientific way, lends mm -hmm. credibility to the fiction. Yeah. So it's a bridge between sci-fi and the elements of fantasy for the book. Okay. Um, you know, there's there's plenty of ground where I'm sure, you know, theoretical physicists and astrophysicists and all the other people would pick apart little plot points in the book. Yeah. yeah. But really, who's to say that it's not possible? Yeah. And it, it's interesting. Look, you know, I always like this question in this conversation because I had a, 
a fantasy author on a few podcasts ago, and she is a vet. And she had said to me that she had to figure out in her own mind how dragons could fly. She goes, because really dragons with their anatomy could not be able to fly, right? So she, you know, she explained that she always has to have wind involved in in order to get to to make it um, believable for her own own mind, you know. So I did. I enjoyed reading the science about it. And then it's just how you wrapped it up and said, and this is, you know, what, you know, like Brent is saying, well, this is basically what I can do with the amulet. And I thought, cool, you know, like it, it, it was really, really well done. And I guess I'm paying attention to this because, you know, my next, like with my next question for me, I'm looking, I'm putting down like the motivations that my ideas that I'm getting for my own science fiction fantasy. And I've already figured out because I've been reading a steampunk novel that it's not steampunk because I can't go back to that um, like early 1900s era. Um, That's not what I can do. And I thought what I like about the steampunk is the fashion. So I'm, I'm going to use like create kind of like my own little fashion ideas based on steampunk. Well, you could have the uh, the characters are into steampunk. Yeah, that yeah. would work. But the universe isn't really the steampunk universe because steampunk, as I understand it, is like an alternate uh, timeline. Yeah, yeah, where so, yeah, you know, and things were different. Inventions took off, and other inventions weren't as successful. And yeah, so everything was more or less steam powered. Yeah, that's it. And and that's just I like the clothes, right? Okay. <laughs> I like the clothes, I like the hats, I like the goggles, you know. So what I'm wondering though is for me, and this is this is this is what I'm thinking for me as as I'm thinking of your book. I know almost like the vehicle that my characters are going to use. It's like this opening to, so they can get to this parallel universe, okay? But the thing that's keeping me up at night is like the actual, how are they going to get there, okay? And your way is so cool. And I'm just like, how did you come to figuring out like the actual travel for Brent and, and, and Will and all that? Well, I, you know, obviously I had the same problems because you have to, as you're writing a story, especially, especially science fiction or fantasy, you have to suspend your own disbelief as an author. Because otherwise you're never going to be able to convince the reader that this is possible. Yeah. So it has to make sense to you to be able to make sense to anybody else. Yeah. So that's, that's the first barrier. Okay. And the amulet came about before the science. Okay. So. Oh, hold on, Algon. I'm sorry. He heard a dog. My apologies. I want to hear this. Hey, 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 hey. hey. <laughs> okay, Algon, please, please continue. 
Yeah, the the amulet preceded the um, the science, and the science came about to try to explain some of the far flung things that you could that were possible with the amulet. And the amulet is capable of doing all sorts of things because its properties are not defined in the in the physical universe. It obeys a different set of physics, you know, a preternatural physics, you know, if, if you will. You know, something that happened before nature existed. And this universe was built upon the foundation stone that this amulet is part of. Yeah. So that's their linkage. You know, I, I was using the magic to just cut through all the nonsense and saying, okay, well, this is possible because magic exists. And then I started really thinking about things. And, and I was like saying, well, you know, if the world is an illusion, yeah. you know, our perception of the, of the universe defines what we believe is real, but what we believe is real is an illusion. Yeah. And if you accept that, then the amulet's suddenly possible. And it's possible because in a world of illusion, only magic is real. Okay, yeah. Well, that, well, that's like my critique partner, Carol Ann. She said to me, she goes, you don't have to have a 24-hour day. You could have 36 hours. Yeah. And I'm just like, my literally my brain is doing a 360. And I'm thinking, okay. <laughs> right? well, it's, what, if, what if you could slow down the perception of time passing? Yeah. You can't really stop time. Yeah. Okay. You can't stop it from progressing. But what if you could slow it down? That's it. Yeah. And that's one of that's one of the capabilities that that uh the amulet allows Brent to have. Okay. Also is his wolf cat nature. But this is introduced to him back when he was in high school. Yeah. So he's he's known how to do that for quite a while. And it, you know, he in in the backstory of Brent, he meets a magician's assistant who is also a wolf cat and uh, she performs with a magician at a magic show that they have before halloween at his high school yeah and <clears throat> he's called up on stage because his friend volunteered him he gets roped into doing a magic trick where he's supposed to change places with the magic the magician's assistant yeah. in these chambers you know, it's supposed to be like a teleportation thing. The problem is the chamber, you know, wolf cats are naturally claustrophobic. Okay. Yeah. 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 And being confined in there triggers Brent's natural claustrophobia. Yeah. And that also triggers his magic. Instead of them changing places in the chambers, yeah. Both end up outside. So you can read the backstory of Brent and find out all the things that happened in high school, including how he uh, met Pam, who was yeah. a character in Gingerbread Castles. Yeah. So now there's a you know there's a concept that I that I played around with in a lot of my books, but the physical universe that Brent exists in is more like. You know, it's constructed more like a giant bagel. Okay. It has layers to it, too. And 
in one of my books, uh, Brent laughs at that description and, and asks if it's if it's an onion bagel. <laughs> uh, uh, I intended the story to be fun, okay, yeah. not to be taken seriously. Um, yeah. I think if if you write fantasy or sci-fi and you take yourself too seriously, you've got a problem, and and it's going to show through your work and and your readers aren't going to be interested in reading it. You need to you need to have fun with it. You need to poke fun at the genres. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. have yeah. So the the cosmology of the fried windows universe, the beginning and the end of the universe are consecutive events, and they're part of a continuing cycle. Okay. And the infinitely large and the infinitely small intersect at the same point in space and time. Okay. So all these concepts have some foundation in theoretical physics. Yeah. They may not be exactly correct. They yeah. may not be, you know, part of the theory, but it makes sense in terms of how things work in, in the fried windows universe. Yeah. Okay. So basically I, I took enough theoretical physics and warped it to suit the telling of the story. That's cool. And okay. It's intended to liberate the imagination of the reader and allow them to suspend disbelief. And it's not intended to prove any scientific concepts yeah. because it's fiction. Well, and it's like what you said earlier, if you can make it believable to you, that is going to come out in your writing. Right. Okay. So I have another writer question for you. Um, I'm finding since I've retired, my books, my writing, it's like always on my mind, or it's like it's it's on my like it's sitting on my shoulder. This this book, um, whether it's fantasy, whether it's the rewrites I'm doing now, and I remember when I had a day job, I had to turn it off, okay, because I'm I was working. Now, do you find that like do you ever? turn off the writing, the plotting, the storyline, or is it always, do you always, do you feel sometimes that it's just, it's continuously working in the back of your mind, even if you're like going to make eggs or something like that, or make breakfast? I think, uh, I think every writer experiences what you're describing to a certain extent. Yeah. You know, at some point it becomes more manageable over time. <laughs> you have dealing with it, but yeah. Yeah, it it happens. Things always are simmering in the background. They'll bubble up, and you have to write something, you know. Yeah. But um, you know, I I used to, I would have things running through my mind all the time, even even while I was working. Yeah. But you know, it was when I was doing menial things. Yeah. You know, tasks. I would explain plot ideas that I had to to uh, uh, some of the people I worked with. Yeah. And, you know, so I'm kind of like bouncing ideas off of them to see what's too far-fetched, you know. Yeah. You know, to the point I'm at now is I stay busy doing other things. Yeah. And they're related to writing. I've uh, started reading other people's manuscripts and, you know, finding little things that they need to fix. I don't, yeah. I, I do that for my publisher. I also I critique some novels that friends have worked on too over the years so yeah um 
there's there's some of that going on too and, and i enjoy doing that because it, it gives me you know somebody else's perspective on writing yeah um i've evolved to the point where i'm not directly influenced by somebody else's writing style yeah. as much as i used to be so i think you have to kind of grow past that before you you can be effective and doing that and not starting to write like somebody else yeah yeah See, and I found that too, where um, your book, it was like, after I figured out what questions I wanted to ask, you know, I was reading your book and I thought, okay, now I can go on my little vacation and just read Elvin's book, you know, and just, you know what I mean? Like, it's enjoyable reading it and coming up with questions, but it's also enjoyable when you're thinking, okay, the questions are done. I'm just going to read just for like, you know what I mean? Like for yeah, the just, pure. Just toy. completely take a vacation and let it go. Yeah. And I tell you, I've got lots of distractions. I have a deer in my backyard who wants to give birth to her fawns. We've got the battle of Alberta happening. We're in the Stanley cup playoffs. right? So it was it was a it was a treat, Algon, definitely. Yeah, all, all the important stuff in life has to take a backseat to uh to the fantasy when you're creating it as a writer. Yeah. But uh, when you're reading a book, you can move stuff around, you know, the the real world, the things that are important to you in the real world. You can you can fit them in around reading. Yeah. Yeah. A little easier than writing, I think. So what are you working on next? Well, I have a book in edits. It's called Dammerwald. Oh, wow. And it's, uh, I think there's actually a place in Canada named Dammerwald. Okay. I, I could tell you. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'd have to check. Well, there, might, there, there might be. There is a place in Germany that's called Dammerwald. Okay. But, um, and there's actually a breed of dogs that are, that are named after that. So it's a forest because Wald means forest in German. Yeah. This book is the first of the Wolfcat Chronicle series. Mm-hmm. And this is where we actually meet a lot of the Wolfcat, the bearer, their former bearer of the amulet that Brent has. Yeah. That should be out uh, later this year or early next year. Cool. And it's the origin story of the Wolfcats. And I started writing that about 20 years ago. So yeah. all 10 of these books in the series are completed. They're waiting to go through the editing process. So be one by one going through the process. Yeah. And I wrote all these before I ever envisioned writing Pride Windows. Yeah. Or Superman or any of that. Um, Brent also appears in in that series, but it's toward the end of it. Okay. And um, Ilana figures into the next installment of the Pride Windows series. Nice. Which is called Dead Men Don't Wear Watches. <laughs> and there is a scene at the end of, of that book that sort of connects to the events toward the end of the Wolfcat Chronicles. Okay. So it all ties together. It's all under the big tent. You know? I was going to say, that, that's neat when you, you connect, connect it, right? So my final fun question, um, I just felt called you Brent Elgin. Elgin okay. Oh, I've gone by Brent. (laughs) My final fun question. Brent finds you. Okay. And you are taken, and we didn't even get into talking about the magic drag queen. 
you were taken to appear before the magic drag queen plush. What does she say to you? <laughs> she probably say long time no see, because I imagine <laughs> that I rented a room from her for a while in the past. <laughs> okay, so is there anything you'd like to add? And if people want to find you on the socials, so should they go to your website or where? Should, I'm, I'm always thinking about that first time listener, Alvin. Well, I've got a lot of different places you can go to. If you want to find out a lot more about me and my background and things like that, yeah, I'll go to my website, www.elganwilliams.com. Yeah. You can also email me at elgin at elginwilliams.com. Mm-hmm. I'm on Twitter, Facebook, uh, LinkedIn, all under my full name. Okay. Um, I'm on Instagram, but it's under elginwolf. That's elgin, E-L-G-O-N-E. Okay. W-O-L-F, and um, that's all tied to the Wolfcat Chronicles. Yeah. Okay. So that's uh, that's where that name came from. Okay. I have a channel on YouTube called the Pandaverse Book Club, yeah. and that's where Christine Gabriel and I do the C&E show where we interview authors like yourself. We've done yeah. a show about you, mm-hmm. and we'll have you back you know, whenever you have something else to talk about. Yeah. And uh, if you'd like to read more about Brent, like I was saying earlier, you can learn about his special abilities, how they came about during his senior year of high school, and how he met the character Pam in in Ninja Red Castles. I posted that in chapter installments. There's two books. There's Finding It and Bring It. Okay. And that's available at elginwilliams.medium.com. Okay. I'm just writing down here, williamsmedium.com. Okay. All right. Well, Elgin, thank you. It's been a pleasure talking with you. And um, Well, thanks for having me back. And, you know, I'll stop by again when I have another book. Yeah. And I may bounce some more fantasy ideas off of you. (laughs) It's fine. You got my email address. Yeah. Okay. Okay, Elvin. Well, you have a good day. All right. Bye-bye. Okay. Bye-bye.